Welcome to Fountain Springs Online. At Fountain Springs, we believe in showing unconditional love, irrational generosity, and being unwavering in our mission to show people who Jesus is. We are one church in multiple locations that exists to help grow and guide your relationship with Jesus. We are so glad you've joined us today, and we hope that we can encourage, challenge, and support you in your walk with Jesus. Feel free to join us this coming weekend at any of our locations and services, or call or email us so we can help you in any way. We are so glad that you've joined us today at Fountain Springs Online. Now let's turn our attention to this week's message. series about parenting for those of you who are concerned chill out some of you are like I'm not parenting though and you're like I, why did I come to church listen 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 I know we have people all over the place on the east side of rapid west side of rapid uh, in Kuwait hello Kuwait uh, we've got fellas in a local prison we've got people still camping we've got it's we're all over and we're talking about parenting and sometimes we're like but I'm not a parent yet, or I'm, that just hasn't even been a thought at all. If, if you're my 14-year-old son going, so how long does this series go? Uh, and some of you are done parenting. You're like, what in the world does this have to do with me? Well, this is actually, no matter who you are or what season you find yourself in, extremely relevant to every one of us because of this fact. God parents us. And if you've ever wondered, as he's looking at you, because he looks at you, as he looks at you and, and wants you to grow and mature, he parents you. All throughout the Bible, we learn that God the Father cares about us. So I don't want you discounting this and be like, well, I sure hope uh, the, the bad parents listen to this stuff. Or, no, this is for every single one of us. In fact, during the first week, I mentioned that there are seasons to parenting. In fact, I want to show you these seasons because I think they're profound. If you didn't know this, there are seasons. And this is not just uh, me telling you. These are psychologists, very smart individuals. But I also think, in my opinion, this is how God parents us. First, discipline years, one to five. And then, in theory, it moves on. For those of you who freak out, like, wait a minute, my child is like eight, and we didn't, don't, don't fret about the years. Then it moves on to training years, learning self-direction, coaching years, teaching self-control, and the friendship years, where it's, they're out of your house, uh, in theory, they're out of your house, and, and, and you're, you're coaching, but you're coaching selflessness, and there's this friendship era. So here's what could be overwhelming is you look at something like this and be like, uh, it appears as so parenting uh, is not what I thought it would be. I mean, I know many people are like, there's seasons, didn't know there were seasons. And, and in my personal opinion, the most difficult thing 
that I have ever undertaken is parenting. <laughs> parenting is also one of the most fulfilling things in my life. Parenting is hard work. I mean, yeah, this is all over the Bible, by the way. You'll see story after story after story after story after story after story of how difficult it is to parent. And what I find fascinating is when we, when we are in the midst of ourselves and you're, let's say you're in a store and your kid is the kid who we all can hear, who's losing their minds and we think it's funny. We like, oh man, that is hilarious. Unless it's your kid. And you're like, this is no laughing matter when your kid is doing things they should never do ever. And in fact, I find a bit of humor. I'm just going to admit to you. I'm going to find a little bit of humor when we talk about other people's parenting problems, okay? So, I think who spells it out better, though, the whole parenting is hard work, is a guy by the name of Jim Gaffigan, who in 60 seconds articulates it far better than I ever could. Take a look. I uh, recently became a father. Thank you. Became a father for the fourth time. Never as much applause on that part. Really no applause, right? Because after the third kid, people stop congratulating you. Then they just treat you like you're Amish. Four, well, that's one way to live your life. Can you build us one of those wood fireplaces? Four kids. Four kids. If you want to know what it's like to have a fourth, just imagine you're drowning, and then someone hands you a baby. The good news is we live in a two-bedroom apartment, so I fought it through. I haven't slept in seven years. If you haven't parented yet, trust me, you will learn that every bit of that is true. Parenting is difficult, but there's seasons, so you don't have to think about everything all at once. So what I want to do with the rest of this series is go through each season. Now again, to remind you for those of you who weren't paying attention, what I'm about to share is for everyone, whether you are a parent now, have been, will be, because I would tell you that I think God is trying to grow you in the same way. So let's talk about the discipline years. Uh, this is, in theory, uh, one to five years old, when you're teaching them to be disciplined, uh, being aware of themselves. In other words, when they hit another kid, it hurts that kid. And you're learning to keep your hands to yourself kind of thoughts. In fact, this is the era where we begin to teach about limits and boundaries personal space. Some adults did not learn this, but this is also the season of life that gets a negative tagline. Maybe some of you have heard it, the terrible twos. This is the era that they go from cute to monsters. Now, let me explain this for those of you who think that's really mean. I'm not trying to be mean. In fact, psychologists have written and written and written about this stage. I want to show you a quote that I found. I think it fits. They see themselves as the center of the world. 
and behave as if their own immediate needs are more important than anything else. Now, in a three-year-old, you're like, okay. The problem is, is if you're 33, and it's continued, because here's what I know. Some of you, this actually describes your marriage. Some of you, it describes your workplaces. It describes someone who's not two years old or four years old. It's this self-centeredness, prideful thinking. And I know from stages like one years old to five, it's kind of cute. You're kind of trying to develop it. Here's the problem if no one does anything about it. If you're in this self-centered stage of life and no one gives you limits or boundaries, you continue that and actually grow that prideful thinking. Here's what the Bible speaks about this if you don't get a hold of it. Pride goes before destruction. Self-centeredness goes before destruction and haughtiness before a fall. If you've parented, you've seen this. Simply put, a self-centered life is a destructive life. Now let me tell you the danger of this. Because it is kind of funny <laughs> to watch someone else's two-year-old have a temper tantrum. But I'm telling you, if you don't personalize this, that means that you are in danger of bringing self-centeredness into your own classroom as a student that's a teenager and then if you don't deal with it, then, then you're going to bring it into your marriage. Where all of a sudden your marriage is falling apart because there's pride and self-centeredness. And then it might even go to your job where it's hard to make friends and you lose your job or you don't get the advancement that you want. And the self-centeredness begins to rob you. You think other people are the problem when oftentimes that self-centered individual is the problem. What I would tell you it is so normal, expected, and anticipated from age one to five for that person, that little person, to be very self-centered. But it left undealt with. Destruction awaits you. I think Rick Warren, in his popular book, Purpose Driven Life, said it brilliantly at the very beginning. Life is not about you. And if you want to know, like, the summary of parenting from at least zero to five is life is not about you. Now, it's difficult because for a season, it really feels like it is all about them, from changing diapers to feeding. But oftentimes, we don't begin to coach this into our kids where they think that after five into 10, 15, 18, and some of us, in an embarrassing way, would say, we still are very self-centered. If you don't like self-centered people, my guess is you don't, then one of the ways to combat that is to parent differently, to set up boundaries and limits. Now, if you're like, okay, so how do I help raise a kid that is not so focused on themselves, where, where the world is not theirs to, to just govern, right? How, how do I do this? Well, there's, there's basic lessons. In fact, I'll tell you, there's three basic lessons that you need to coach into your child. Now, listen clearly. Yes, this is for your child. What I'm about to share with you, it's for your kid. And it's also for you. If you weren't taught this when you were young or maybe even older, I want you to either take it for yourself or something you will pass on. Here's the first lesson. God made me. You need to teach this to your kid. You do. You're like, no, David. No. That's your job, David. 
No, it's actually your primary role. Uh, God made me. It's a big deal. It's, it's, it's in the Bible. Proverbs tells us, God made everything with a place and a purpose. So let me just pry into your life in a little bit. If you've ever questioned your place in this world and your purpose, I would tell you it begins with knowing that God made you. You, you didn't come from nothing. See, some people believe that we, we come from nothing, we just happened, and that we're going to go to nothing when we die. And do you know if you just use deductive reasoning, just basic reasoning, if you come from nothing and go to nothing, that means in between means nothing, which is dangerous. I believe right now means a lot. And in short, our meaning comes from our maker. Our meaning comes from our actual creator. And just to clear the air, you may not believe me even after I say this, but there is one creator, and he thought about you for a long, 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 long time. And then there came the day that he made you. And if you've ever wondered your purpose, may it start with the fact that the God of the universe made you. You need to teach that to your kids. And you need to get it yourself. Here's the second one. God loves me. Now, I know this is like, well, I knew that, David. Hold on to that thought. God loves me. God loves you. And you need to teach this to your kids, and you need to know it yourself. Here's what the Bible teaches about this. It's all over the place. I picked one. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. This verse here exclusively helps you and I know that indeed God loves us. But in life, I think a lot of us wonder if we are lovable. We wonder if someone accepts us. So let me give you a question that might mess with some of you. Am I accepted or am I a disappointment? Let me just tell you something. Your child has wondered this and has an answer for it. And if you don't know, listen to me, please. If you don't know your child's answer to this, I beg of you to find out. What I have found is that in childhood specifically, we grow up constantly wondering if we are approved of or if we're just a flat-out disappointment. And there are not just these moments where maybe you got in trouble, so you're wondering. There are children all over the place who are wondering this, so much so now that it, that has now become a regular news story of kids self-harming because they feel like they're a disappointment. And what I know about you and I, actually, <laughs> you may have never told anybody this, but my guess is about you that even today, today in the most nearest of time, you've had moments throughout this past few months or year where you wondered, as an adult, Am I accepted? 
Or am I a disappointment? And if you want to know, like, how do I parent? Do I give, like, these masterful speeches that should be put into the Smithsonian Institute? No, no. One of the greatest things you can let your kid know is that God loves them, which makes them accepted. Here's the third one. Here's the third one. Jesus wants to be my forever friend. Not only did God make you, not only does he love you, but Jesus wants to be in a relationship with you forever. Here's what scripture says about this. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. We get this. Come on. We're Americans, right? Okay? We get this. Like, this is powerful. I have many friends who fight for my freedom and who have laid their lives down for me, for us. We get the power of this. So let me refresh your mind on a verse I've already read to you, Romans 5, 8. But God showed his great love for us by laying down his life. It shows you that not only does he make us and like just, hey, I made you. Not only does he love us, but there's this relationship so much required by Jesus having to die for us. So that it wasn't just momentary, but for all eternity, God wants to have a relationship with us. This is called the gospel. If you don't know what the gospel is, the shortest way to describe it is it's the good news about Jesus. It's, it's when we talk about Jesus as he died for our sins, he paid the punishment we should have paid for our sins. He rose from the grave. The good news about Jesus, the gospel. And some of you might be overwhelmed at this moment. You're like, wait a minute, I didn't teach this to my kids that God made him, God loves him, and Jesus wants to be the forever friend. And some of you are like, oh, I need to teach it, but I don't remember anything you said, Dave. I, I, I meant to take notes, but I didn't. And I'm like, oh, no, let, let me just help soften this. You can't teach those three things to your kids on your own. You can't. Some of you, you're single parents, and you get it. You can't do it on your own. You need other people. Well, those of you who aren't single parents need to get it. That you need other people. And in fact, let me fess up. I am a pastor. I am ordained. I have got too many degrees that shock everyone that knew me. And it's like, it's just insane. I can't adequately help each of my children know that God made them, loves them, and wants to forever be in their lives. I can't do it on my own. In fact, Katie and I, can't do it on our own. And this has come to my realization very apparently lately. You know I love to tell you stories about our kids. So let's pick on Titus. <laughs> Titus is four and always full of stories. So we were at Ellie, our middle child's soccer practice. And Titus and I are in the car listening to soundtracks, sing and other things like that, just having a blast. And and eventually the four-year-old decides, I want to push all the buttons everywhere in the vehicle, right? You know how this works. So he goes to the back seat, and he rolls his window down. That's totally fine. And then he discovers that it's not just dad with us now. He sees there's a boy in the car next to us, and his window's rolled down. So he begins to talk. They talk. Kids are so good, much better than you and I at having conversations. And, of course, they talk about the most important things, transformers. They go right into it. Transform, they talk about transformers, but then out of nowhere, my four-year-old says, hey, 
Jesus is in my heart. And then he asks, is Jesus in your heart? And the kid goes, yeah, he is. And then Titus says, hey, God's in our house too. And the kid responds, I don't think God's in our house. And the dad's like, oh, yeah, he is. Yeah, he is. Yes, he is. He is. <laughs> okay. And then they went back to talking about Transformers and all. And I'm just listening to my four-year-old talk about Jesus. And I can't take full credit for that. <laughs> Recently, I caught him. He was playing an app that we've approved on the iPad. And he was playing. It's, you might be familiar. It's, it's Tom the Cat, where you, you talk to the cat. So you know where I'm going with this is we caught him talking to Tom Cat. Hey, do you have Jesus in your heart? And Tom the Cat didn't really res- respond well. So then he did it again. Hey, I, I have Jesus in my heart. Do you have Jesus in your heart? And he didn't respond well. Now, now some of you are like, what in the world did you do? Well, this is easy. This is easy. I said, Titus, you're talking to a cat. Satan made cats. They can't love Jesus. (laughs) So for those of you who were concerned, I dealt with it. It's my four-year-old. So much fun. If you talk to my three kids, right now they would each tell you that they have Jesus in their heart. And it is a privilege to tell you that that was not on our own. We have required, and I use that word specifically, we have required others to help us. We're just not that good of parents. (laughs) We can't do it on our own, and we have required others very specifically We've required the need of those in our kids' ministry at this church. You see, I am pastor of this church, but my kids do not go to the kids' ministry because I'm pastor of this church. It's because I'm their dad, and I need help. And so we have made it a priority in this family that they know the things I taught you and we need the church. And in fact, I just feel like this is important to do this. I, if you have ever served in our kids' ministry, I'd like for you to stand up right now, wherever you're at, if you've ever served at all in our kids' ministry. And I just want to applaud you. Thank you. Thank you. You can, you can have a seat. I know you guys hate that. Uh, But if you've ever served in our kids' ministry, thank you. Because I don't believe parenting should be done by just those in the home. We need each other. And when I tell you that, oh, it's our role to help kids know that God made us, God loves us, and Jesus wants to be our forever friend. Do not carry all of that weight on your shoulders like you got to come up with the most brilliant lessons. No, you need to involve others. Now, those are the lessons, but 
I thought we should have also a couple of the core responsibilities. Now, now yeah, put your kid in the kids' ministry. Come on, they need it. And yeah, you should serve in the kids' ministry, seriously. But what about every day? What about not on the, just the weekend, but what about all the time? As a parent, if you have ever wondered, what am I supposed to do like in this zero to five kind of season? What do I do? What's the, what's the primary? What do I need to learn as a parent how to do? There's two things. One is this, love with discipline. Now let me explain this. Love with disciplined intentionality. As though when you come home, you have a purpose, a plan. Let me show you a, a verse that's really hit me lately, Philemon. Your love has given me much joy and comfort, my brother, for your kindness has often, it's the often word that really hit me, often, planned, intentional, on purpose, over and over and over again. For your kindness has often refreshed the hearts of God's people. So I made this personal. What Do do I refresh the hearts of my children often? Or do I bring home an emotional roller coaster for them to ride on? Do I come home and take all of my stress from my fatigue or whatever it happened? Do I make them have to deal with that as well or wait for me to recoup? No, love with discipline says, yeah, I'm tired. Yeah, I'm emotionally exhausted. I'm spent but you are my child, so I want to hear about your day. I want to know that you know I love you and I accept you, and, and let's just have some conversation. Now, if you've raised kids enough, you know they actually do not want a long conversation with you. But many of us come home and we behave like it's all about us. And remember all that self-centered talk we had? Don't go there. You need to make sure that when you come home, you're the disciplined one. Love with discipline. Now flip it. Discipline with love. These are your two responsibilities. Now some of you are like, wait a minute, wait a minute. If we're going to discipline our kids, there's no love in that. Like that's screaming. That's all that is. It's, uh, see, many of us think that discipline is, is something it's unnecessary. Some think it's cruel. And some are like, I just don't want to go there. Do you know what the Bible says about discipline? I'll show you. Discipline your children while there is hope. Otherwise, you'll ruin their lives. I don't think you need a pastor to describe what that means. I think you get it. (laughs) And I think we live in a current culture that sees a lot of kids growing up with no discipline. Now, in a moment, in a moment, I'm going to share with you some techniques and postures regarding discipline. But I don't know what you've been thinking about since I've brought up the word discipline. And I don't know what your agenda is behind it. And I don't know what your thinking is if you've ever disciplined a kid. But i got to bring something up. The goal is not control. When your child's done something they shouldn't have done. And you're like, all right, now it's time. Like, you've, you've thrown the flag penalty on the field. The goal is not to control them. 
to argue them in a way that they just submit because you're louder or more intelligent than they are. The goal is not control. But see, that messes with some of us. In fact, many of us don't even know the difference between punishment and discipline because there's a difference. <laughs> and let me show you the difference. Again, this is not unique to me. This is smart people putting together graphs for those of you who love graphs. But this is helpful for me as a parent. So you got punishment and you got discipline. They're two different things. And you've got this, the purpose of it, the focus of it, the attitude, and the result. So punishment, the purpose is penalty as though they better know what they did was wrong. Or discipline, the purpose is, I want them to grow up in this moment. I want this to be a maturity conversation. The focus is the past. Some of you, married people, married people, this is how you fight. It's all about what was done, rather than what can be. The future, that's what discipline does. Uh, attitude, anger. You are on fire, and you let it be known, and there's this anger that you then pass on to your child. Or discipline, the, the attitude is love. Result, either you teach your children how to have fear and guilt, or you can bring security in their lives. Do you know that discipline can actually help your child feel secure when they know the boundaries, the limits, and what's going to happen and what won't happen? So, what do we do when we're mad? What do we do when someone in our life has wronged us, whether it's your child, they've done something they shouldn't have done, or it's a friend or whatever? What do you do? Well, I'll show you another, not graph, but a list of how to discipline. This is more of a posture to take. Now, again, let me help. If you aren't parenting, this still applies to your life. If you are, you better believe this applies to your life. So what do you do? First, be clear. Expectations need to be spoken. Some of us will, will discipline our child for something they didn't even know was actually wrong yet. But you're just like, that's how you're going to teach them. Expectations. If you want a thriving marriage, communicate expectations. Do you know that most arguments between one person and another person is because there were unmet expectations? Be clear. By the way, if you're like, we totally missed this stage, David. Oh, no. Now, listen, if you've missed this and, and you're like, how do we start? I would start right there. Have a family meeting and say, all right, I know I have not made clear expectations. I've not outlined the boundaries and the limits. We're going to do that right now. Now, if you've bypassed and you're returning to this stage, yeah, it'll be a little bit more um, difficult. If you're looking at a 15-year-old who's never had boundaries, but they're still your child, have the family conversation. Be consistent, like follow through. No empty threats. Like if you, be consistent, follow through. Uh, let me help for those of you who have younger kids. Stop counting. A lot of people just look down. I don't know why. Stop counting. Uh, by the way, uh, if you count to three, five, ten, or whatever, all you're doing is invalidating your no. You can choose what number you want to go to. The Bible says let your no be your no, and your yes your yes. You, 
You've got to be consistent. Be calm. Uh, control yourself, in other words. If you don't know how to do this, uh, you know you can delay the disciplined conversation until you chill out. Be careful. Don't avoid the issue. And what I mean by this is oftentimes, oh, when we go to discipline, we know how to do this. Uh, we are not careful, so we say, all right, you're grounded for eternity. <laughs> and we're like, or you lose your phone forever. Or you can never watch TV until you leave this house. We begin to not be careful, and we discipline far bigger than what actually happened. Be careful. Be careful. And be compassionate. You need to know that when you are one-on-one -on -one and you're having this disciplined conversation, you're there to build them up, not to destroy them. Again, not to control them. You want them to mature, to be frank, okay? You want them to actually be better at life than you are. And it's in those discipline moments. I'm just being, trying to be as vulnerable as I can. I got to tell you, it's these discipline moments that I think often define our parenting. And we need more people better at these tough conversations. So if you're not parenting, you're like, but I got a friend who, uh, they really hurt me. Maybe you can apply this in its own unique way. Maybe you work with someone who betrayed you or has spoken badly about you. And you're like, how do I go about having this conversation? Maybe this is helpful, but especially parents, grandparents. Listen, it's time that you and I change the next generation. And I would tell you, it starts as soon as zero to five. Let's raise up a generation that leaves the self-centered life. So we've got to be good at some things. Uh, let me pray for you because we need God on this. God, I pray for everyone who is willing to lean into what you had to say. Lord, I pray for specifically the parents who uh, maybe, maybe feeling beat up or feeling a, a hand of shame. Lord, I pray that you will renew in them the mercies that you bring each day. God, I pray for those of us who, and I think it's all of us who've ever parented, but at the moments that we have failed, that we have just not done well, forgive us, God, and give us new strength, new wisdom to lead. I pray for those who... Uh, who aren't parenting, but they're struggling with a relationship. Lord, help us to bring maturity into the conflict of our lives, into the problems of our lives. So Lord, we just simply ask that you walk with us at every moment, every sharp turn, and even every crash we encounter. We love you so much. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.